Hello, my loves. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. I'm sharing with you an episode that we've actually shared here before. This is kind of a replay, a revisit, a refresh. This episode originally aired in November of 2018, which seems just like lifetimes ago at this point. (laughs) And it is featuring the one and only Chrissy King. Chrissy is a sort of internet friend of mine, industry friend of mine, who shared this interview with us, like I said, a couple years ago now. And I think it's a really important conversation to revisit, especially right here, right now. And so that's what we're going to do. In this episode, Chrissy is really taking us through why this concept of empowerment isn't actually empowering to anybody if it's really only speaking to one type of person. (laughs) And how each of us can really begin to make our spaces more um, inclusive and inviting to all communities. Now, I think the focus of this conversation that we had here is really around the fitness space, which it definitely still applies, but I also wanna encourage you to, you know, sort of use that as as a metaphor or maybe like a launch pad and understand that this can be applied to any area or circle or industry or office space or environment anywhere. So, Without further ado, let's just go ahead and get right on in. She Thrives Radio is a production of She Thrives, a space designed to help you take care of you through a holistic and maybe sometimes unexpected approach to your own well-being. I'm Taylor Gage, your BS-free health and mindset coach, and your host who loves lifting heavy, laughing hard, keeping it real, and seeing you live like you love yourself. If you're looking to stop merely surviving and instead start thriving, well, you're in the right place. You ready? Chrissy King, I am so Excited to have you on the show today. You and I have been kind of internet friends for, I don't know, a while now, and I'm so excited to have your insights and your amazing knowledge um, with me and my audience today. So thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be on. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time, and yeah, we've been internet friends for a while now, and excited that we're actually going to finally meet in real life soon. Oh my gosh. Which is fun. Oh, oh. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what she's talking about, this is the uh, Ignited Women's Summit here in Seattle, and I'll put tickets in the show notes for you guys, but yeah, Chrissy's going to be there too, so just saying, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so fun. I'm really excited about it. Me too. So I kind of want to, before we dive, we're getting into some big, awesome stuff today, but before we dive in, I kind of wanted to just like learn a little bit about how you got where you're at and just a little bit of your own journey because you like from from what I understand like you used to be a cardio bunny right yes yeah (laughs) right how did you transition from you know a cardio bunny and doing all that kind of stuff to like a power lifter and like guys a fucking beast of a power lifter too like just so strong so impressive um how how did you make that transition and how like how did you find lifting in the first place Yes. So I'm going to make a really long story much shorter, but um, I did not have like a history of strength training at all. Didn't grow up. Like I played a little bit of sports when I was like much younger. Um, And then I like was just more of a, like a reader and a writer. And I was always like doing bookwormy things, not so much athletic things. So um, I went on my first like crash diet when I was like in high school um, and it was only because someone at school, a boy pointed out like my weight loss and I felt like super self-conscious about it. So I went on a like very low carb diet, like no carbs essentially, mm-hmm. because that's all I knew the Atkins diet. Like I was 16. That's the only thing I knew. Um, I heard a mom's friend talking about it. So I got the book, followed that. And then just did tons of cardio all the time. Um, and did lose a lot of weight, but, um, like then I went to college and I just like yo-yoed back and forth a lot, never setting any real foundation around like a healthy, maintainable way to handle my nutrition and strength or work at, working out at all. Um, and so when I finally did go back to the gym years later, the only thing I knew was like cardio equipment. That's the only thing I'd ever known. Um, and so I just 
it, again, like I think the gym can feel really intimidating. Yes. So like stepping into the gym for like, essentially, I think that was like the first time in my adult life that I'd ever had a gym membership. And so it was intimidating in itself. And then there's like all these machines and there's all these weights and I don't know what any of it does. So I was like, I'm just going to go to the treadmill because that's what I know. It's like the treadmill and the elliptical. And so I was just always doing uh, tons and tons of cardio. Um, and again, that was like part of this like whole yo-yo back and forth thing. Um, and so eventually my sister hired a personal trainer. And so I was just like, oh, I'm going to come with you and try a session out. And so I did it mainly because she did. And I remember specifically telling the trainer, like, just make me skinny. That's the only thing I have a concern about. Um, like I never had even like thought about the possibility of like building muscle or like being strong. Like I didn't even understand like why that would be important or why anybody would care about that. Like it was just such a strange frame of reference for me. So anyways, the first session, she was like, okay, we're going to do some weight training. And I was like, what are you talking about? You sound crazy right now. <laughs> um, but she like just, she told me like, you came to me, so trust me. And so I did it. And it was like a 30 minute session. And honestly, it was like the longest 30. It felt like the longest. <laughs> it was like, so hard. Um, but I kept going back. And then the really cool thing that started happening is like after a couple of months, I started seeing like, oh, you know, my first session, like doing walking lunges felt like impossible and like now a couple months later like that was cool and I could add you know dumbbells and do heavier and so I was starting to see changes in my body and I really and that changes just in like the way my body looked but just like strength wise like mm-hmm. oh I can do this thing that I couldn't do before this is pretty cool um and through a series of events I ended up at the strength and conditioning gym and I saw all these people like powerlifting and like I had never seen people doing that at all. Didn't even really know like exactly what it was. And there were women doing it there too. And I definitely had never seen that before. Mm. Um, and so the guy who owned the gym, his name is Brett Summers. He still has the gym. I still go there sometimes. Um, he actually, I think he just noticed I was intrigued because I was probably like always staring at people <laughs> doing it. <laughs> so eventually he was like, Hey, you should try this. And he like really pulled me aside and worked with me personally just because, and like showed me all of the lifts and introduced me to powerlifting. And it was one of those things that like, as soon as I did it, I was like, wow, this felt so awesome. Like this felt super cool, super empowering. Um, and I had always grown up with this narrative that I just wasn't a strong person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really had a natural knack for powerlifting, to be honest. Like I caught on really quick. Um, and I saw a lot of like strength gains right away. Um, and it was just like, no looking back after that. It was just such a cool feeling. Um, and such a, just like a different frame of reference for who the person I thought I was. Mm. And so that's kind of like how I first started powerlifting and then I started competing and then eventually I, um, became a personal trainer and then I started coaching women. And so that's kind of like a long story to how I got to kind of where I am today. That's so awesome. And I think something that you said in there probably resonates with a lot of women who are lifters in some capacity. And I was, I wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on why do you think that lifting weights is so transformational for women and not, and not just in a physical capacity, but in like an emotional way and a mental way, like what you just said, it's like fully empowering. Why do you think that that's the case? Well, for me specifically, um, I, I alluded to this a little bit, but I really very much grew up with this narrative and it was kind of like the ongoing joke in my family that I was just like a weakling. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't because like they were being mean or anything. Like I just, I really wasn't physically strong, but it was because I never did anything that would build physical strength. So in my mind, that's just how I was, right? Like some people are strong, some people are weak. I'm just weak. Like that's just what it is. And then when I started lifting weights and strength training, I realized like, well, duh, like strength is a skill just like any other skill, right? Like you can develop any skill. Mm. And so I think for me, what was so transformational is that like once I realized that all my life I had been telling myself this story about I'm just a weak person and it turns out that that's actually not true at all. then I started to think, well, what else, what other narratives have I been telling myself that aren't true? Like what other things have I not been doing in my life because I thought I can't do that or I'm not that kind of person when actually I've just never done the thing. Mm, Um, And so I think, I think strength training is so transformational for women because I think like the strength that you develop in the gym really carries over into like every area of your life. And, and when things are hard for me, like in other areas of my life, I always remember that like the strength I gained in the gym transfers everywhere. And the things that I thought I couldn't do, I can do. 
And all those, it, it really forced me to question the narratives I had been telling myself and rewrite the story for myself. And I think that that is, I think for a lot of women, it's just that feeling like I can do hard things. Mm, yes. I love that. And it's so, it's so true. And you have come <laughs> for someone who used to identify as a weakling or whatever, like you've come quite a way. Oh my gosh, you are so strong. And I'm so impressed by all the things you post. So that's, that's awesome to hear. I want to kind of make a little bit of a shift, not too much here, because one of the words that I think that gets thrown around a ton in the fitness space or the weightlifting space or like the wellness, just like any kind of, you know, a lot of the things we've already been talking about here. One of the words that gets thrown around a ton is this idea of empowerment, right? Like empowering women, empowering yourself. Um, and I wanted to just take a quick second here to read um, an Instagram post that you made recently in reference to a much longer and amazing blog post that you made. But I wanted to kind of just read through this uh, because I think it will sort of set uh, you know, where we're going a little bit better. So I'm going to read from your Instagram where you say, empowerment is only as powerful as it is inclusive. It's only as powerful as the actions behind it. Wearing a t-shirt that says girl gang or empowered women, empower women means nothing if you aren't actually showing up for all women, not just the ones who look like you. If you aren't willing to consistently show up for the difficult and messy conversations and elevate the voices of the marginalized, your words are meaningless. Not only that, but it's the brand of feminism and empowerment that's performative and insulting. Our collective voices have so much power to create change in the world. It's easy to see when our personal rights are being infringed. It's time to broaden our perspective and consider how the rights of women around us are being infringed every day. Our liberation is bound to one another. It's time to hold space and stand together. The days of sitting by the sidelines in silence are over. Man, this post, that blog post, just so much good stuff. And so I wanted to kind of read that again because I think it's going to kind of set the foundation here for like where we're going in this conversation and how we're kind of making this transition from lifting weights and being empowered and empowering women and this conversation that I think gets thrown around a ton in the wellness and fitness space um, but doesn't really have a lot of depth to it in a lot of cases. So I guess my first question for you here on this topic is – I think people shy away from these conversations and they go, well, you know, I'm just not like, I just don't like to talk about politics or I'm just not political. Right. And they kind of, they, they steer away from these conversations with, with that um, kind of language. And I, I wanted to ask you, what do you hear when you say, when you hear somebody say that they're just not political or they just don't like to talk about, like have these conversations or anything along those lines? Yeah. So I, yeah. And we, it's so common to hear things like that. So there's a couple things that come to mind right away for me when people say things like that. Um, for one, I just like to, like, I want people to recognize that if you have the ability to say that I don't like to talk about politics or I just don't want to talk about that stuff, you have to recognize the privilege in that statement. Mm. And when you say the word privilege, a lot of times people get like really worked up right away. Um, and so I always like to back when we, as soon as we start talking about privilege, I always like to remind people that privilege is not a bad word, right? Mm -hmm. Privilege doesn't mean that you haven't been through a lot in your life. Privilege doesn't mean that you haven't worked hard for what you have. None of those things is what privilege means. But you have to recognize that privilege does mean that you have some advantages that other people don't have. And secondly, that most of us in some way, shape, or form do experience some forms of privilege, right? Because, yes, there's white privilege, but there's also privilege that comes with gender. There's privilege that comes with education, that comes with class, right? So there's varying degrees of privilege that all people, um, that most people experience in the world. And it's what we decide to do with that privilege that makes a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you have the ability to say, like, I'm not going to worry about politics because I just don't want it, like, I don't feel like dealing with that, that means that like your existence in the world um, is not threatened by the po the current political climate, right? Mm. Uh, because myself as a black woman existing in a black body is a matter of politics, period. So for me, like I can't just say, like for example, I can't be like, I'm just not gonna worry about politics. I'm not gonna talk, worry about racism because I just don't, it's so messy, it's so difficult. I just don't feel like talking about that. 
that doesn't change the fact that like I'm a black a black woman walking down the street. Like I can't erase my blackness. Um, so it's something that I have to address regardless if it's messy or difficult or uncomfortable. Um, and so all of these things are really important. And I think especially in the wellness field, like we have to be talking about these things because wellness is all encompassing, right? So as much as we like to talk about fitness and nutrition and exercise, right? The other components of wellness are like your mental, your emotional, your spiritual health are just as important. Um, and so we can't ignore the effects of like racism or homophobia or transphobia on the mental health of people that experience those things on a daily basis. I love that. And I, I think one of the words that you, you said in there that I just want to pause on real quick before we move forward is, and you already said it, is privilege. And I feel like when you when that word gets said, people run for the hills, they cover their ears, they go, oh, I can't hear you. Or they're just like, how you know, they get really defensive and go, well, like to what you just said, like, I've, you know, I had a hard life or whatever. And so I wanted to just kind of like stop a little bit here and just kind of ask you your feelings on how people with really any amount of privilege, because like you said, there's varying degrees depending on where you are and all these different facets, but how can we recognize it? Um, and then also, how can we begin to use it for good? Yeah, so I think I think there's so many situations in everyday life or like as long as you're like living in the world and like being somewhat aware of the things that are going on, that you had the ability to recognize your privilege. Like a simple example that I think of all the time that I think um, is like something that we can all like recognize in our daily lives is, for example, when we go to like a restaurant or a coffee shop and there is no gender neutral bathroom, right? Mm. Like most of us don't even stop to think that if you are a trans person, like the amount of how hard it makes it if there's no not a gender neutral bathroom for you to make a simple decision like how am I going to the bathroom today? That's something that we just like most people don't really think about every day. I wasn't thinking about that for a long time until I had a conversation with somebody and I was like, wow, like that's something that I take for granted every day because I don't have to worry about that. That's a privilege that I know because I gender I identify as a woman that I can go to the bathroom. There's going to be a bathroom there for me to use and I don't even have to think about it. And so. I think when we start to actually like listen to other people's experiences, I think that's like something that we in general don't do well, like actually listening to people, um, believing their experiences, not questioning them um, and seeing their perspective. And, and I think it's so important to listen to other people without feeling defensive, which can be hard sometimes. But when we actually do that and hear people's story, I, I find it so easy to empathize with people when you're like, wow, I never thought about that wow, I didn't realize that's what it feels like. Um, I didn't realize that that is like how it feels to be in your body every day. And so I think we have so many opportunities around us if we actually broaden our horizons. And I think that may mean like taking a look at your circle. If everybody in your circle is just like you, then I think there is a need for a little bit of expansion, right? Because I think, again, when you don't have other people around you that are different from you, it's really easy to like turn a blind eye to any issues that don't um, that don't affect you and not even think about them. Right. Mm. And then secondly, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you can, you go, you go. <laughs> uh, and then I was gonna say, secondly, when we start to recognize these things that are happening or these experiences of other people and understand, like, again, the privileges that we have, that other people don't have it is, I, I do firmly believe that when we have privilege, we have to use that privilege to make a difference and make a change. Right. And so I think sometimes people may feel like it's overwhelming because you know, some of these things are really big, huge issues and no, none of us single handedly will be able to change them. But we do have a lot of social capital, right? So we need to be having conversations with our friends and our families and our coworkers. We need to be correcting people. We need to be saying like, hey, you just said that. That's totally not OK. Um, my friend Chrissy Chard, who's the founder of Smart Fit Girls, one of the things that she helped me like realize that I can do in my everyday life is like example of the coffee shop. She went to the the manager of the coffee shop and was like, Hey, I think there's a problem here. We have two single stall bathrooms. Like we could just make these both gender neutral bathrooms instead of having them marked men and women. And he gave her like a little bit of pushback, but she, you know, continued to have a conversation with him. And then like a month later he emailed her and was like, Hey, I just want you to know, I changed the sign. I ordered new signs for the bathroom today. 
And so like there are small things that we can do in our lives that can create a difference. Um, and I think we don't have to overthink it to be this huge, this huge monumental task that we have to do. I love that. And I, I think like, um, I think it was actually at the girls gone strong, uh, like strength, uh, weekend or summit or whatever it was a couple years ago here in Seattle. Um, where there were a lot, you were there actually, yes. and there were a lot of uh, really interesting talks that were going on. Um, and one of the speakers like pulled up Google and typed in like something along the lines of healthy woman or like fit or like something along the lines of just like really generic, like fitness or healthy woman or something. And all of the image results were of the exact same style photo of pretty much the exact same woman who was thin, who was white. Most of them were laughing with salads, which is like, you know, there's like that meme, right? It's like, so I, I wanted to kind of talk about that for a second in particular to in like, you know, through the lens of this wellness space, you know, which we're all a part of, I think most of the people listening to this show, right? Like, so how, first of all, how did we get here? Like, how was that, like, the the thin white woman, how was that, like, the the, the, the poster child of healthy living? Um, and how do we begin to get out of that? Yes. So this is really interesting because I just, for anybody listening, you know, go to Google and just type in yoga. Yeah. And you're going to see the exact same thing that, that Taylor was just talking about. Uh, like all of the images is just shocking. Like this can't be the only people that do yoga. Right. Um, and also <laughs> like, yeah, there's all, all the things that you just said. So how do we get here? I, I don't really know how we got here. What I do think though, is that, um, wellness overall, I think, um, I, I, I think that wellness really in a lot of ways, um, I think that it, I don't know how else to say it. I think that it really um, markets to young, wealthy white women. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, because again, when you look at a myriad of different aspects of fitness, whether it be Google or whether you like look at Fitspo on Instagram or if you look at all these different things, you see a lot of the same types of women. And so I think wellness and overall, overall just markets to, um, to white women in particular and I think there's just a lack of inclusion across the board. And so I think when we start to talk about issues of like diversity and inclusion, there's two things to acknowledge. One is that like diversity is like, do you have representation in your marketing materials? Do you have representation? Um, like for example, if you're having an event, do you have speakers that are of different backgrounds? And then inclusion takes it a step farther and it's like, is the organization itself inclusive? Like, is there women of color working at this organization? Are they being paid to do like the work there, right? Are they on the board of directors, all these different things. And a lot of these organizations just aren't inclusive. So if you don't have representation at the higher levels, right, then that thing, those things don't even come through in the marketing. They don't come through in who you decide to put on the panels. They don't come through in who you decide to use as your models um, and all those things, right? So I think it starts from the top all the way down. And I think when you start talking about like this issue in fitness, it's really important to recognize that the same things exist in any different industry as well. Mm, yes. And so it's like a problem across the board. It's not just fitness. And obviously I talk about it in fitness because it's the industry I'm in, but this is an issue that is, is everywhere. And it's, you know, like to get really heavy, sorry, but that's okay. This is actually just like a facet of white supremacy. Like, and this is the way, one of the ways that white supremacy plays out in everyday lives. And so I think when, when we even start talking about white supremacy, we, it's really easy to feel like white supremacy is like just this thing where like at Charlottesville, for example, like that's white supremacy. Like they showed up and they were rioting or whatever. Right. But that's, that's just one example. Like if you really start to study like the history of white supremacy and the ways in which it plays out, like everything every day is in some way connected to white supremacy, which I know is really hard to talk about. And I know that's like a really 
a topic that we probably can't delve into too far today. Um, but this is just one of the many ways in which we see that in, in America and across the globe. I am more than happy to get into anything that we need to get into here because I think this is such important, such important conversations. And, you know, the you so the 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 Instagram post that I like quoted from you earlier was in regards to a much longer blog post that you wrote about um, sort of this idea of like performative feminism or performative empowerment or like I I wanted to kind of expand on that through the lens of what we're just talking about like I wanted to hear from you what you believe you know are ways that even like well-meaning you know I think that there's a conversation to be had between like intent and impact as well right like what are what are some ways that even maybe well-meaning people completely miss the mark on this conversation or this this premise and like aren't doing any anybody any justice or service here and are just like missing the mark entirely i want to just kind of hear your thoughts on that um like where that some of this is going awry what you would consider you know performative or what what even is like well intentioned but maybe just not landing super well like what going on in there? I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think sometimes what, there's a couple of things. I think one thing I will start saying is like sometimes when we talk about missing the mark or performative, I, I think it's really important to acknowledge that like, for example, putting up a post, um, on national women's day, for example, right. And saying that you stand in solidarity with women, um, without actually, uh, doing the work like you know year round, and what I mean doing the work is I mean like actually standing up for women year round. Mm. That's that's performative, right? Um, and so like in the article I spoke about, it was like right around the time where the Kavanaugh and Placey Ford hearing was happening, um, and I was like really genuinely excited to see so many people showing up for that conversation because it was an important conversation. Um, but what I challenged people in the article is like where is that energy when we're talking about issues that affect women that don't center white women, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of the times outside of that, we hear, I, I personally at least hear a lot of silence. Um, and so when we talk about the rates at which black trans women are being murdered, uh, like that's a feminist issue, right? And, and like, I don't hear a lot of people that are showing up for those conversations. Um, and so I really challenge people like for, in terms of performative feminism and in terms of uh, just missing the mark, I really challenge people to look at the brand of feminism that they have. Right. And there's this thing called white feminism, which is like, you know, you show up for issues that center white women. Um, I challenge people to, to show up for issues that center other women because those issues are just as important. Um, And so, and another thing, another example is like the women's March and like the showing up with the, the pink hats and all that kind of stuff. That's all really cool. That's important, but it has to go deeper than that. Because we also have to understand, like, when we start talking about, like, smash the patriarchy, cool, really great, let's do that. But also, the patriarchy is tied, inextricably tied to white supremacy, right? Mm -hmm. So we can't smash the patriarchy without ending white supremacy. And so that means that, like, as a white woman, you have to be willing to give up access to privilege and power that comes with white supremacy in order to smash the patriarchy, Um, and so I think these are really deep and nuanced conversations. So I do want to acknowledge that, um, a a book that I always recommend people to read when I start talking about privilege or white supremacy or like white feminism is a book called white fragility. Mm. Um, and so if people haven't read that, or if you're feeling challenged right now, listening to this, like I, I recommend picking up that book because again, these are conversations that like, you know, are very nuanced and go beyond the scope of this podcast, um, and so I really encourage people to start doing some reading around these things and start unpacking some of this, um, because it's not easy to have these conversations. It's not easy to start thinking about the ways in which maybe you've been complicit. Um, and it does take a lot of work, like it takes a lot of inner work. And so that is one of the things like feminism requires us <laughs> to show up for all true feminism, intersectional feminism, right? requires us to show up for all women. And it also requires us to work on ourselves. And sometimes that work is painful, like as it is in anything that you're trying to change about yourself. 
You can't see me, but I was nodding that whole time. <laughs> so much good stuff. And you're right. I, I do want to acknowledge that these conversations are, are massive and beyond, you know, a 45 minute, you know, kind of conversation here. Um, so thank you for providing uh, a book and more resources for people to go check out. Um, but I wanted to kind of come back to this little, uh, I mentioned it before, but I also wanted to hear your thoughts on how we can sort of navigate the space between, or kind of maybe not the space between, but the uh, results of kind of a, uh, the impact versus intention, right? So maybe your intention is something really that you see as beautiful and great and wonderful, um, but the impact isn't received that way. And you start to receive maybe a little bit of backlash or, you know, or you just like get people talking to you or sharing their stories or ask, whatever it looks like. How do we... What is the difference between intention and impact? How and how do we how do we navigate that? Yes, I love this question. So, uh, intent, like you know, I think I'm doing something really empowering for women, and I create something, or I maybe I write a blog, or I put up some content on social media, and my heart is pure, right? Like I think I'm doing something awesome, and then. The impact is not really what I thought it was going to be. For so, for example, um, because you know of my privilege in the world, my viewpoint, my vantage point, I don't realize that maybe something I did is actually harmful to a certain group of people. I didn't recognize that. I didn't realize it. It wasn't an, an, on purpose. But now I'm getting this backlash from people. People are lashing out, and I feel bad, but also probably a little defensive because mm-hmm. I know I was trying to do something good. Like my intention was right. And so this happens all the time to people. It's happened to me lots of times myself. Um, and so how do, the best, 100% best way to navigate this is to one, listen. Um, and so I can't stress listening enough, right? And, and when you're feeling defensive, it can feel really hard to listen without trying to think about responding already. Yes, yeah, so right? true, like, yeah. So listen without the intention of responding, but just to really understand what people are saying. And then secondly, like own up to the fact that you made a mistake. I think so many times people prefer to like stand firm in their stance, even though maybe multiple people are telling them like this was a little problematic what you did. Um, So own up to it and then do the best you can to like rectify it in some way, right? Like however that looks, whatever rectification you can possibly do, do that. But I think it's really, really important to take responsibility And I think I always stress to people is that we are all messed up. I mess up all the time. Like this is not, there's never a point where someone's just like, you know, they got it all together. They never make mistakes. I make mistakes when I'm having these conversations all the time because I'm not an expert in all things. None of us are, right? Mm. And so there is like so much beauty in just owning up to things, apologizing, being genuine and apologizing owning it the best you can, taking responsibility, and then in whatever ways you can rectify the situation. Like that's the best thing you can do. And then now that you've realized this, like you can use that knowledge going forward to do better in the future. And you can help other people in your life understand, right? And so it's a, it's a learning opportunity. And I think that especially like if you're in the online space and you're in the, the public eye or whatever, like it can feel really hard because you're trying to do the best you can but also, I think it's just so important for us to all remember that there's something really beautiful about being authentic, vulnerable, honest, and owning our mistakes. Yes, that was awesome. And I, you know, we we've talked a little bit about sort of this idea of diversity or inclusion, particularly in the wellness space. And you mentioned a few, like a few ways that people can go about, um, you know, paying more attention to that or doing better in that area when they're maybe like, you know, a professional or they have a business or they, you know, kind of put together these events or brochures or blog posts. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on, is it, is it possible for just kind of, you know, the quote unquote average Jane or whatever, who like doesn't necessarily own a business or she's not a coach or doesn't have like a public platform necessarily. um, Is there a way for those people to make, take steps to make like the fitness and wellness space more inclusive and diverse, or does it fall on the quote unquote leaders in the industry? Um, I think there's responsibility at both places. And I think if you're not 
like if you don't own a business, if you're not a fitness professional, things that you can do on an individual level, I absolutely think there's space for that. Um, for one, I encourage everyone, no matter what category you fall into, to follow people from diverse backgrounds. Um, they are out there. You know, you may <laughs> have to be intentional about getting out of your circle and finding some, but they 100% exist. So again, I think that's part of like connecting with people um, that are different from you is just so important. Um, and that is one of the beautiful things about social media is that you can connect people all over the world, even if you've never met them in person or whatever, and you can get to know people from different backgrounds, similar to like me and you on Instagram before, I guess technically we had met, but not really, (laughs) you know? Um, and, and there's, there's room for that. And then secondly, I think another great way that all of us can work to do this is sharing other people's work. And so I think a lot of times one of the things I hear too for people is like, I would love to talk about this or like have a voice in this space, but I don't really have the right words to say. I don't feel like educated enough to talk about these topics. Fantastic. There's so many people talking about it that you can share their work with your friends on your social media platforms, et cetera. And that's a wonderful way for you to promote more diversity by just sharing someone else's work. And like, you know, there's people all the time I get tagged and people will be like, oh, these are my favorite, like fitness professionals that are women of color or whatever. And you can just share other people. So, so that overall we're creating a space that is more inclusive and diverse, but also that feels more safe and welcoming because that's the other part of that. Right. Um, because fitness is for everyone. So there's so many different things that we don't talk about enough in fitness. Um, I think like ageism, ageism is a big issue in fitness that we don't really discuss enough. And there's so Mm. many different things. So I think we all have an opportunity to really elevate the voices of the marginalized from whatever different backgrounds that looks like. I love that you just said that thing uh, about ageism. And I wanted to know, uh, or just kind of hear you expand on that a little bit. What else do you think are some really important like conversations that seem to be vacant, like mostly vacant in the fitness space or that we're just not having enough of? Um, like what are some other what are some other conversations that we need to start tuning into a little bit more here? Uh, I think one of the most recent things that came up that I think is a really big issue in fitness that we're just not discussing enough is like sexual harassment. Mm, uh, yes. And I know like Molly um, from Girls Who Strong, they just released a really great guide, a five day like e-course that you can take. Um, but we don't talk about that enough and it's like a really big issue. Um, and all the time, like I'm having conversations with women who reach out to me about things that happened at their gym that was completely inappropriate. Um, and so I think we just don't talk about that enough. And I think the other part of that is like, you know, men need to step up into that conversation as well. And it, like there's very, I see very few men that are joining that conversation, that dialogue um, and holding other men accountable because a big part of all of these, no matter what issue we're talking about is accountability. Yeah. Uh, and I know people like necessarily don't like that word in fitness or in this space, but accountability is a real thing. Um, and so I think that's one of the things we need to talk about more. I, if you, I, I see very few people talking about ageism, as I said before. Um, and again, like when you see images of fitness, they're always like young people and like that is the problem too. Right. So I think that, um, also like, I don't think there's a big trans representation in fitness for the most part. Um, and I think there's not enough spaces that people feel welcome to come into, um, if they're trans, I know that like I've been in gym spaces where like so much like inappropriate jokes were made that I could not imagine a person, a trans person being comfortable in a space like that. So I think we don't talk about that nearly as much as it needs to be. And I think there, again, there's so many things that we could go into and I know that none of these things will be fixed overnight or, you know, they're not, um, like they're not easy things to change, but I think collectively it's really important that we start to elevate some of these issues and do whatever we have within our own power. And that, again, those can be small things that, that collectively can work to change the industry in general. Yeah. And I think you're right. You know, like you said, these things don't get, don't get solved overnight, but you know, sort of coming back to the thing that you were speaking of before about having trans bathrooms or not trans, having trans, but having gender neutral bathrooms in uh, cafe in like cafes or coffee shops or these public spaces. Like you didn't even really realize that that was a thing until it was kind of it was pointed out to you. Right. And I think just like everything you just went through on that list, like I I don't think this stuff gets solved overnight, but I think just shining a light on these areas like is a huge first step and it can open people's eyes to these conversations that they might not even realize like with right otherwise they would never have noticed 
And I think you're right. We all we all benefit from from seeing this and making these spaces just safer and more inclusive. And by the way, uh, Molly's course I actually signed up for myself. It's totally free, and I highly suggest anybody listening go uh, grab that from Girls Gone Strong because you're right. It's a super important conversation that I think uh, we need to be having as well. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you. You you've been just like your um, blog post lately has just been like just fire, awesome, amazing, big conversations. I'm loving it. And the one that you put out more recently, I believe, was one about um, words that don't belong to us. And I wanted to ask you your thoughts on that to just expand on it a little bit and explain that. And how like how do we all benefit from learning and listening and to like to how our words affect marginalized communities? Yes. So that blog post um, was written out of like experience that I had recently um, with the word savage um, and how because again, we use that word a lot in fitness. Um, and so I had a conversation with someone about it. And I also had a conversation with an indigenous person about it. Um, and I just, the conversation did not, not with a person that I had with this about the word did not go well. Like, you know, more or less the person was just like, well, I get to use the word and that's just it. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, and people more or less like people need to like be less sensitive about words. Um, and that it's like irrational to have these feelings, all that kind of rhetoric. Mm. Um, and I just got like very frustrated with the person because again, like, I think it's so important to recognize our privilege. Right. And if you're having a conversation with an indigenous person, for example, and that person tells you that this use of the word is offensive to me. And if you know the history of the word savage, and so I think it's one thing, first off, if you don't know the history, right? Because I think that's true. There's a lot of, because our history books don't tell real history. So right. I think sometimes, again, things that don't affect us, we don't pay attention to. So I think there's a lot of people, it's like a lack of awareness, right? Which that means we educate people and explain to them and they're like, oh, okay, now I, I get it. It's, I apologize. And then there's like what you know and you still decide that it's okay anyways because you think it's just okay. And so I think it's really important to recognize that words do have a lot of meaning. They do have a lot of context and it's not about like policing words or like banning words or anything like that. It's about respecting the history of words, especially problematic words in this country that have like a, a historical context that is rooted in colonialism and racism. Those are words we should just stay away from and we should also respect people's feelings around them. Um, <clears throat> And so I wrote the whole article because words do matter and they do have a significance to people. And there is a parameters around which or parameters that we should consider. And so one thing I will say is that like under no circumstance do I tell people what they can and can't say. Right. Like that is not my job. I am not the word police. However, I think it's important to let people know and inform them. And then if you choose to use the words anyway, then you have to deal with the the backlash that comes and you have to be accountable for it. And, and like, you have to recognize that if people are telling you that you're hurting them with this word or that they find it offensive or that you're profiting from a marginalized group and that it's not acceptable, that you own your responsibility in that scenario. Um, and so you see that word with, the, you see that with a lot of words. Um, the N word is another word that gets thrown around a lot. And I think there's a lot of confusion around the word as well. Because uh, like a lot of black people do use that word, right? Mm -hmm. But we've reclaimed that word for ourselves. Um, and so, you know, even within the black community, there's a lot of nuance because some people say we shouldn't use it at all. Some people like use it with their friends, all these different scenarios. But one thing we're really clear is that it's we've reclaimed that word for ourselves. It's not okay for non-black people to use it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we do have to really start to respect that. And in the, the blog post, there's a really great video um, by an author who explains it so well. And it talks about exactly that and that words don't belong to everyone. And we have to be respectful of those of that. And also question yourself, right? Because if someone tells you this word is offensive and you, your initial response or your immediate response is like, oh, well, I'm going to use it anyways. I question you to think about why you think you have ownership over everything. Mm. Um, and why do you feel like you deserve to use that word? Um, if someone's clearly telling you, someone from a marginalized community is clearly telling you that it's offensive to them. 
That's a great question and a great way to kind of turn the conversation and get a little bit deeper. I love that. Um, <laughs> Chrissy, this has been amazing. I have more questions for you. We're not done yet, but I just need to like take a little time out here real quick to just say uh, thank you for this conversation, for uh, showing up to do this work and sh speak your like speak your truth and like educate and uh, inform people. I think it's so important. And I think, I mean, it's important everywhere, obviously, but I think also like we've been talking about specifically in the wellness space, like this is so, so important and so, so powerful. So I just really appreciate you and your voice and all the work that you do. So thank you for that. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. And thank you for allowing me to talk about all these difficult and messy platform, these difficult and messy conversations on your platform. I appreciate that. Listen, I think they are difficult. I think they are messy. And like you said, I don't think anybody ever does them perfectly, but that's kind of why I wanted to have this conversation because I think people shy away from these conversations because they, you know, and myself, like I've been, like, I know that feel. it's like you, you're so scared of doing it wrong that you don't do it at all. And I think that, that is where we really get ourselves into trouble, especially in this day and age where we need these voices more than ever. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you uh, doing the work that you do. And I have one last question for you. But before we get there, I just wanted to give people an opportunity to find you, to read your work, to work with you. And so where do people find you on the Internet or in real life or whatever? How do people work with you? How do people learn from you? Absolutely. So um, my blog, where all of my majority of my blog posts go, I'm writing for a few other platforms now, but most of them at least are linked on my website, which is chrissyking.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at I am Chrissy King, the same on Twitter and on Facebook. It's just uh, facebook.com backslash Chrissy King fitness. And um, the majority of my clients are one-on-one -on -one clients. So I work with Clients one-on-one -on, -one on fitness, a lot of body image. That's like a big part of my work, which we didn't even get into today, mm. but um, that's a big part of my work too. Um, so a lot of like exercise, nutrition, body image, um, and just like stepping into your full power. So a all of that is incorporated into my one-on-one -on -one coaching. So if you're interested in the coaching, you can reach out to me um, via my website, Instagram, all the places. Um, and then also have a couple of do-it-yourself programs. As uh, Taylor mentioned, I'm a power lifter, so I have a couple of strength programs out that are do-it-yourself. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's all the things. Um, you're so right. We didn't even touch the body image shit, but I think that this last question might. So feel free to take okay. it wherever you want to go. Uh, we can spend some time here. But one of the things that you, uh, you know, like hashtag and like kind of like is like the underlying you know, kind of mission to a lot of the stuff that you share is this idea of taking up space. And I wanted to ask you what that means, you know, whether that's through the lens of all the things we've talked about today or something completely different. I just wanted to ask you what taking up space in this world means to you and how do you get there? And like, what does it, how do we embody that? Just give me all the things about taking up space. Yes. Oh, I love this last question. Okay. So okay. Yes, that's like the hashtag that they use all the time is take up space. Um, and so just to give you a little history on me, I spent like all of my early twenties, um, for sure, maybe a little bit longer than that, like super hyper-focused on shrinking my body. That was like my goal in life was to be smaller all the time. And again, a lot of that stemmed back to like my first experience with like weight loss when I was in high school, because like I started as soon as like, I lost all this weight and everyone was like, oh, my God, you look so great. You look amazing. Like I was just always getting these compliments. And so that like forged in my mind that being smaller is better. And like that is how you will be appreciated in the world. And so then I spent all of my energy focusing on being smaller. And that was it. And when you're always in that place of focusing on your body, obsessing about what you look like, obsessing about like your macros, obsessing about the number on the scale, um, like what size clothes you're wearing, all these things, like it's all consuming, at least it was for me, right? So I had no energy to create anything else in the world because I was always using my energy on shrinking my body. And so over the years, a long process, <laughs> I, I changed my relationship with my body. I changed um, how I felt about my own personal body image. I started to recognize that like so much of what I thought I needed to be was like based on societal conditioning um, and that like the fitness space 
in particular, not all of it, but some of it very much preys on women's emotions and that if they can make you think there's something wrong with you, then you need to buy their product to fix yourself. Um, and that it was like the patriarchy, like it wanted me to shrink. It wanted me to be small because when I'm doing, focusing on that, I cannot do, I can't create change in the world. I can't do anything Mm -hmm. because I'm worried about is how I look on the outside. Right. Um, and so once I started having all these, these like discoveries and changing my relationship and really like owning who I was and recognizing that like my value as a person is not at all connected to the size of my waistline or how much I weigh. I just started taking, reclaiming my energy and using it for things in the world that gave me joy. Um, part of that was like, I'm going to start writing again. I'm going to coach other people. I'm going to step into my power. Um, and then I recognized that like, I want to take up space in every area of my life. So that means that like physically, yes, I'm going to take up space and meaning that I can look however I want to. And there are no rules around what I'm supposed to look like, what my body's supposed to look like, what my hair is supposed to look like. Um, I'm going to take space for a long time. I was working in a corporate office. Like I'm going to take up space in that. I'm going to take up in every space in every arena that I deserve to be at any table that I want to be at that as a woman of color, like I deserve to be there and I don't have to prove that to anybody. Um, and so that is kind of like just my mantra for life, like take up space and so I think for a lot of people that will mean all different types of things, but really it just means up showing up in your power in all arenas of your life. Mm, that is some good stuff. Yes. And I feel like we might have to have you back on the show to talk about all <laughs> the body and stuff that we didn't even get into because I think all around the messages that you share and the work that you do is so important and everybody needs to hear it. And so I so appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come onto the show and uh, just share a little bit of your insight and your knowledge and your magic with us. So thank you so much, Chrissy. Thank you. It was so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me on. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this replay. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you haven't yet. Again, this was done so long ago. I feel like if you're new to the show, there's a chance that you haven't heard this conversation, which is exactly why I thought it was so important to bring it back and share with you today. So please go follow Chrissy. She's doing wonderful, very important work. And I encourage you to go um, hear what she has to say. So thank you so much for listening. Until next time. today's show, please take a moment to share a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button while you're at it. If you're looking for some more She Thrives goodness in your life, you can find me posting over on Instagram at She Thrives blog. And if you're interested in learning how to work with me inside She Thrives Academy, head over to my website at www.shethrivesblog.com to learn more and check out all the deeds for you there.